high proficiency, turning tomorrow into today, a podcast dedicated to sharing the knowledge and language of artificial intelligence in the Department of Defense. Join us as we discuss the passion projects for some of today's brightest minds and how artificial intelligence is being cultivated, procured, and delivered throughout the U.S. government. Be prepared to learn how artificial intelligence has become a part of everyday life and is working to support and further government missions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of AI Proficiency Turning Tomorrow into Today. I'm Ariel Moore, the producer of this podcast. Again today, we are joined by our moderator, Kirsten, helping us gather relevant knowledge and expertise from our guest today, Karen Howard, Executive Director of the Head of the Office of Online Services at the IRS. So thank you for joining us today. Kirsten, the floor is yours. Hello and welcome back to another episode of AI Proficiency, Turning Tomorrow into Today. Right now I'm sitting down Skytech Day 2 with Karen Howard and Karen is joining us. So Karen, I just want to start by having you tell a little bit about yourself and your career trajectory and how you got to where you are today and share with our audience what it is that you do with IRS. Sure, thank you for having me. So my career, I guess the trajectory, it's been really weird. It's not been a straight path. I Let me start with what I'm currently doing with the IRS. So I am the head of office for the Office of Online Services. What we do in a nutshell is we look at improving the taxpayer experience and the user experience, which includes, you know, to the most part, our employees with digital applications and you know, as recently, we've started really looking at the connectivity to go from digital, that long journey to other applications that support, you know, some of our centers, some of our call centers. So really that unified experience, that on the channel experience. How did I get here? So that's a great question. It was a shock to me. <laughs> I would have never thought I would be working for the IRS, but I started my career in fashion, fashion retail, frontline retail, love the customer service, the working with customers to meet their needs. I'm a fashion buff. That's one of my hobbies, probably an addiction that I probably need ther- therapy for, especially shoes. <laughs> um, and, and it kind of evolved. So frontline retail, there was no digital back in the day. And we'll just say over half a century ago, right? So everything was, you know, face-to-face interactions with the customers. That role evolved to international retail in various operations, merchandising, marketing, buying, but always with a lens for the end user. What do they want and what do they need? Then digital.com started to evolve. So, you know, to stay marketable, my skills then evolved into the e-commerce space. Dot really dot com where there was just that you had a site, right? It wasn't connected to anything. And that evolved into multi-channel and omni-channel and then unified commerce. In that journey in retail, you begin to understand a lot of things. You understand like, how important the, the psychology and behavior behind users and customers. You also understand how to really assess and analyze patterns in in your in-user customer to be able to make the right decisions, whether it's buying, buying or merchandise presentation. Um, from there, I really got into data. Now, I'll, I'll be the first one to say, I don't like data. 
I think it's boring. I think it's a bunch of numbers, but here it's like exercise, right? I like what it does. So you can't really, it's, it's the end result of, of the great stuff, right? So while I think that, you know, working with numbers has never been a passion for me, I realized the benefit that gets me to my passion. And so in, in leveraging that, I really got into data management, operations, um, and the technology piece to really drive that experience. And I really think that's evolved to the merchant, to the manufacturing side of, of retail. So B2B concept. And then from there in the financial services, and that was a shock to me. I'm like, oh, I don't know anything about Finance. I pay people to manage my money. What are they talking about? They want me to come work for them. And it really was about that data management and content as data, content as an asset, really understanding the structure of content to drive that user experience. So I would say my career really evolved out of A, the necessity of the end user, their needs, and B, my desire to stay marketable. And from there, the IRS, as the Taxpayer First Act, when it was signed, really started to wanting to understand more around digital applications that can make, you know, being tax compliant easier on the end user. And so that's, that's kind of my, my story in a short form. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And it's so unique. And I love that you brought up your passions. So that was going to be kind of my next question is, what are you currently working on that you feel very passionate about? Yeah. So, you know, I'm very much into service and service requires that understanding of the end user and the journey. Right now with the signing of the Inflation Reduction Act and the release of the IRS's strategic strategic operating plan, My team is very heavily involved in improving the digital experience and those digital applications. So taking it to the next level with the funding that we received from that act. Looking at, I I specifically, so I'll I'll tell you a short story. When I was approached to join the IRS, (laughs) my first three answers was no, no, and heck no. (laughs) You know, just because of the some of my experiences and just, you know, just why I'm not a tax person, but when they really, when I thought about my experience and my, what I had always hoped the IRS would do, just having that service mindset, I changed my mind and said, you know, I could be a part of that. I could be a solution to the problem instead of someone just complaining about it. Right. So I said, when I join, if, when I leave, when I retire, I want to be able to say I did three things online account will be able to stand side by side with your Amazon account, right? Everything that you ever want to do with Amazon, unless you have a really niche niche issue, you can do in your online account. You don't have to call the or Bank of America with your banking. The next thing, um, where's my refund? <laughs> I want to make that so easy and embed it into an online account. But for those who don't want to put it in their online account, they cannot, you know, make it just so much easier. And last thing was make a payment have all that very seamless. And it was funny because when I got assigned to, when the opportunity came for me to lead some of the initiatives that are outlined in the operating plan, those are the three things I got. (laughs) And I was like, okay, this was meant to be because now I get to really focus on the three things as a private sector taxpayer that used to drive me nuts. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's such a good story. How exactly were you recruited? What did that look like? 
So I was in the financial services industry broker dealer working on their their content management and governance for digital, for their digital presence. And I was approached by a recruiter who said they, my first question was, I'm not a tax person. I I pay, (laughs) listen, I pay people to do my taxes. (laughs) They're like, they have plenty of tax people. They're not, you know, they don't want a tax person. They want a digital, the word he used was savant. And I was like, well, I don't know if I would call myself a digital support, but okay. (laughs) Someone who's experienced from service to the technology side, to the business side, and really understands the connectivity of data and content and design. So right brain, left brain, and has that experience under them. And so, you know, I said, okay, as long as you don't have me doing anything tax related, right? I I understand enough about taxes to know how I can make the experience better. So I was recruited and I've enjoyed my journey. It's been two and a half years ever since then. That's amazing. So pivoting a little bit, what measures have you seen taken to encourage innovation when it comes to AI with the, the sector of government that you're working in? Yeah, I think a lot of it, sentiment, data information, which it can be structured or unstructured, right? So if we measure, you know, feedback through the various methodologies, whether they're surveys or user groups or that feedback and just hearing, even if it's standing in a tax center, a taxpayer assistance center and talking to people or observing, right? I spent this tax season helping out doing triage in the tax center and just hearing what people were coming in for. I was like, they shouldn't have had to spend their Saturday morning standing in line to get that information. We should have that in an online account. So really, I think the measures that we really look for that are meaningful, how many people call call information, call measures, and what are they calling in for? Visit measures. Because that then tells us, instead of just going after shiny object technology, right, it tells us what tech, what technology we should look for that is a solution to a problem, right? It's not just, oh, we want to do that because everybody's doing it. It's like, here's the problem we're trying to solve and what existing technology do we have, but more, or what existing technology can we enhance in ways that will fulfill this, this need? So I think looking at visits to the site, using our search logs to see what are people searching for, what are they searching for that they're not finding. So those measures are really critical to us being able to enhance existing, um, I say technology, but processes are also critical as well, as well as, you know, what's new out there and innovative that customers are talking about, right? If they're talking about it, is it something that we can apply to a business case internally? So we always look for what need is it meeting instead of that's the latest and greatest thing. Let's go get it. Right. I like to say, you know, everyone, you know, a lot of people buy treadmills in January, but by April they're clothes hangers, right? <laughs> because the, the need, you know, they haven't really fully vetted what are they really trying to do and what problem are you trying to solve and what process will it take to make that treadmill pay off? You got to have a process. I'm going to yeah. get up at six or I'm going to get off work and be on by then. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> got to be consistent with mm-hmm. it. <laughs> Along with that, what steps have you seen yourself and your peers taking when it comes to developing AI infrastructure, but more importantly, I think promoting the education and training behind it? Yeah. So I, I think as far as the development, I'll answer that piece first. I, I think 
we have to understand that there's foundational work that has to be done. You know, there's data hygiene, there's recognizing the data. So before you, because it's only going to, AI work is only going to translate what it's feeding off of, what the machine is learning. So if it's learning the wrong information, um, if you think about raising a child, right, <laughs> it's, it's the same concept. So really there's that foundational element, looking at the data that you expect, the content management piece, the enterprise data platforms that will support this and making sure those are in the right place. The education piece, I always say it's about tell them, tell them again, show them, show them 20 times over, right, to get people to understand. But when you talk about education, it's like with anything, you've got to portray the win-win. What's the value to a person for them to be able to even want to have the desire? So if you look at the pro-sci change management process, right, at awareness is, so making people aware of what's out there in any form. We have various forms where we highlight innovative technology and, and or processes that we should be adapt, adopting or process, you know, automation tools that we should be adopting. And the first thing people say is, oh, that's just another tool we want to learn. But if you really focus on the why and the when and what's in it for, you know, it will reduce, you know, processing time by this, or it will allow you more time this. And then we focus on when you talk about what's in it for me, the marketability sometimes, learning a, a new tool, new process makes it more marketable. So whenever I try to drive change, you're always going to have resistors. I always try to look at, instead of talking about the tool and what it does and, you know, oh my God, the, you know, it really is about, here's what it's going to do for the company, the taxpayer, but more importantly, here's what it's going to do for you. It's going to cut your time of looking into, and we can train you so that your skills are more valuable, more marketable. So really that, that what's in it for me approach has always worked for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And along with that too, you already mentioned some, but could you share some examples that you've seen of how AI will benefit everyone specific to yeah. what it is that you do? Yeah. So specific to us, it's really going to it helps us with monitoring and auditing performance of the various tools. It helps us really understand anomalies in some of the information. It brings a, that efficiency of not having to put a person, which could take a person 10 hours to two weeks to do something. We really cut that down. So our responsiveness to the information that we're getting, we've leveraged it in, in, in the very simplest forms of chatbots, right? So taking people off of calls that a user could answer themselves with content, but the second phase of that would be a chat bot, reach into the content and answer it for them. We're using it really to understand, you know, when we talk about taxes, right, tax cheats, <laughs> you know, people who are trying to do bad things in the tax, you know, helping us identify that, those activities quicker so that we can make sure that, you know, you know those who are paying their fair share are, are recognized that we also are looking at those who maybe aren't um, using the data to really help us through AI do that in a, in a more meaningful way and allow us to react. I think there's cost efficiency with AI too, that, you know, simple things that maybe you might have had people doing, your team doing, now they can really focus on more value add or they can drive the the information that the AI tools are learning, the machine learning that comes with that. So I think the biggest thing is when we use 
AI to help us rapidly recognize opportunities to address business processes, business operations, business missions, we can rapidly respond to it in a much better way and, and drive more data-centric um, strategic plans than using AI to help us kind of define where we should be. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. My next question is pretty relevant since we're here at Guide Tech together, but how do you see the government working with private sector and academic institutions mm -hmm. to help develop and implement these AI solutions along with just developing new AI technologies and use cases in general? Yeah, the private sector moves so much faster and adopts technology so much quicker than the government. I actually think that we can learn from what the private sector is doing and learn what they're doing that can be that the government can adopt and then bring the data vision the data that drives a lot of you know the government has probably more data than any organization in the world right we can leverage some of that to even help the private sector where it makes sense you know with respect to privacy and security and all those things but when you talk about data and ai you know it's got to be ethical. You know, you've got to be transparent about what you're using and how you're using that. That's nothing different than what the retail sector was doing when we started doing email marketing, right, and, and all of that. There's that responsible usage of data and the protection of that. So I think the government can bring, with the amount of insights that the private sector can leverage in overcoming some of the opportunities that they have as well. You know, in, in the retail sector, I know one of the biggest things we dealt with was fraud, mm. right? So think about the government. That's one of the number one things. So how can now the private sector on a retail site kind of learn from some of the things the government has done to really protect the, the American public when it comes to fraud and those type of you know, bad actors getting it at stuff. What have we done and how we've leveraged AI to help detect that in a faster and efficient way. Yeah. And do you see them kind of coming together, working pretty close? I mean, I know you're here, so mm -hmm. obviously like you're doing your part. Yeah. Like what is it that you see being the general theme? Do you feel like people are going in that direction more? Yeah, you know, I think when I look at kind of the skill sets that the government is requiring. There's rapid hiring right now. They're looking for profiles of skill sets and crafts that they haven't really focused on before, right? Beyond just tax accountants and um, actuaries, you, they're now looking for, you know, UX designers and those creative that are very high. So bring in people that have that business private sector business experience and really balancing the workforce so that that there's a good blend right it's not yeah. just and you're going to see that because you know everybody knows the government IRS is really hiring right now and so it's not just about we just want people who've always been in the government you you have to it's like diversifying yeah. the resource pool so that you bring that perspective and I think that's how we can begin to adopt private sector um successes and you know stories that weren't successful but you still learn from them right so I think if we continue the way that we need to work it's going to force that yeah. deeper collaboration it's just a matter of time so mm -hmm. I always say during any kind of evolution or revolution you could fight it or you could recognize it's coming and get prepared and lay the foundation and I think we're starting to see that across the government working with private sector 
affinity groups, you know, to understand what's going on, their needs, and also bringing in those those experts in those spaces to kind of help educate us in the consulting arm or even, you know, as business partners. Yeah, that's super optimistic. Mm-hmm. So I'm really, I'm really glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. that that's the, that's the theme. Pivoting a little bit to AI literacy. Well, when it comes to AI literacy, mm-hmm. what do you think are some of the most important concepts that people should begin to understand first and foremost? So I think that people should understand that there are first humans behind this, Mm -hmm. right? It's not, you know, I I joked about the movie Megan yesterday. (laughs) You know, it's not you just let (laughs) AI run off and do its own thing and it goes wild, right? Requires, in order for it to be truly literate, requires human interaction and intervention along the way. And if we forget that and we see some of the, you know, catastrophic tales that, you know, early onset. I think it also, as far as the literacy, we need to help people to understand that the machines that power AI learn from the stuff that we do, Mm -hmm. right? So as we, you know, as it learns from content, as it learns from behavior, it's only going to function as well as the information that goes in it. So in educating people, the fear factor should never be that it's an automated tool because there are people behind this. You know, the concern should be who's teaching it and what are they teaching and the diversity behind the perspective that goes into the information that drives the the AI interaction. I think once people get comfortable with that, you know, where there's this misnomer that you just put this tool out there and take your hands off, right? I think some of that is starting to people are becoming more educated on it, but it's still very new. And then the minute someone has a bad experience, right, uh, it's human nature, right, to say it was a tool, but we need to help people to understand the foundation. And that's when we started this call, I talked about that foundational element, which we want stuff fast, quick, and easy. AI is nothing that you should rush in on, Mm -hmm. right? You've got to understand what's going to what is, what is that machine going to be learning and make sure that information is there, it's protected, it's governed, it's monitored, you know, you're building, it's built off of use cases and you're constantly testing it, like not just every day, like multiple times a day. You're looking at what people are using it for and looking at what it's doing, telling them or, or doing for them and saying, is that the right experience? And you're also providing a loop where people can also help you understand did it meet my need? And if it didn't, why? So you're catching behavior. And I always say it's kind of like raising a child. You're catching behavior that you don't want, but early on where you can change it as opposed to, you know, it gets to an age where it's a lot harder to change. Well, that's, 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 you know, machine learning and AI in a nutshell. And I think that's how we can help with the literacy is building the confidence in educating people so they know that, think the biggest thing that humans are behind it yeah well on that note of children Mm -hmm. and and education too how can schools and educators better prepare students to understand and work for work with ai and that could be like you know all the way from the elementary school Mm -hmm. to college post-grad yeah i think I think the comfort, which, you know, it's, 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 it's funny because this generation is already very, and future generations are already going to be very comfortable with technology, unlike my generation, right? But I think really teaching, teaching 
I'm going to use an analogy because I think this is the best way to do it. So when I was in grade school, we had home ec Mm -hmm. and industrial ed, you know, where they taught you how to change tires, change oil, boil an egg and and balance your checkbook and manage your finances. Somewhere along the way, they stopped putting that in school, right? Right. Even sew a button on, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And so now you have this gap, right? You've got... And, and I see them, them going back to it. So those foundational things that people need to know to survive. So when we talk about technology and especially AI, start with basic 101. What is, what is, what is driving the AI interaction? And it's information and, and information in the form of data, structured and unstructured, helping them understand that and almost building a, a course path, if I can use that term, to you know AI starts here you know I took sewing I love to sew don't do it much now and we didn't start with get on a sewing machine and just go right we we really started with understanding you know how to thread a needle as simple without pricking yourself you know as simple as that all the way up to now how to do a hand-picked stitch so really building a a course that really focuses on 101 all the way up to what it does. And if you start that now, not only will the comfort zone be there for teenagers and people getting out of school, but they'll also understand those foundational elements that'll make it successful because it's not going away. Yeah, We're gonna see and hear horror stories, but we're also gonna see success stories. And I think if we see more success stories and horror stories and talk about talk about what, what made that not successful that experience right so people can learn I always say we learn more from when something goes wrong than when something goes right and so being okay to talk about those things in various forms like this and in school right part of the learning would be this company did AI let's show you as we looked at what happened what probably would have been a better approach maybe they rushed in and thought they'd sit AI machine to learn on bad data create bad experiences. Yeah, exactly. And along with that too, like what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that we're going to be facing when it comes to the deployment and development of AI? Mm -hmm. And how can we go about addressing those specific challenges? Right. I think ethical usage. You know, for every good thing, (laughs) there are people trying to, you uh, you know, use it to do bad things. And I think we've got to be okay acknowledging that. I think a lot of the challenges, you know, will be the trust factor for the government. You know, government trust, public trust is huge. And I think making sure we have that transparency around what we're doing and how we're doing it and why we're doing it, you know, eases that, you know, really enables that trust, heightened trust. I think a lot of the challenges will will be making sure that we have skill sets, right? We've got to upscale people to be able to understand how to work with AI technology and the machines that are driving these experiences. And that's really taking people who understand the core data that the AI and up-leveling their skills. Now you don't have to worry about manually sitting eight hours and just, you know, making sure the data, now we want you, the machine's going to do that. We want you now to focus on output. What's How's the data behaving in its interaction with these various technologies that are driven by AI? So I think resource training, starting at the academia level, is going to be huge. 
taking those skills that are already applicable and upskilling them. Companies starting to be open around, you know, who would have ever thought a financial broker dealer would want to hire a retail exec? Who would have ever thought, you know, the IRS would want to hire a, you know, manufacturing retail e-commerce, you know, channel unified experience executive. So thinking differently about the skill sets we need and opening up our minds to not so much about labels and titles, but a more more about what even the portable skills or the passive skills that this person brings because they've been in this space so long will bring that innovative thinking and will help drive AI to the future in a, in a meaningful way. Yeah, I love that. We had Amy Hamilton on, she's at DOE earlier, mm-hmm. and she said about how there was someone that she specifically wanted to hire, not because he had been in this role before mm-hmm. at all, but because she knew that he had the qualities that it would take to be successful. So with a little bit of mentorship and guidance, yes. now he's off running his own company. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, we, we really do have to start looking at qualities and, and, and knowing that we can take those qualities and apply it to a vision. Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right. So I know this is kind of a big question, so answer it however you see fit. But what do you think the future of AI is going to look like and the kind of impact that this is going to have? The future, you know, when I was young, I remember watching the Jetsons and saying, oh, that's never going to happen, right? And the Jetsons are really here, right? So think about a lot of what we're seeing in movies that seem so far off that we're like, oh, that's just, that's great movie and theater or acting and drama. I think we're going to begin, that's going to become our reality. I think AI is going to become something that increases experiences in every aspect of our lives, right? You're starting to see it even in household appliances, you know, refrigerators that tell you what you're out of. (laughs) So you don't even have to do a list anymore. I'm like, well, okay, so we could all just sit around and let AI drive our lives. No, I think it's just going to, it's really going to improve our lives in a meaningful way. It's going to uh, really drive commerce differently. It's going to drive service industry differently. It's going to, you know, those who don't ride the wave will will not exist. We saw that when e-commerce first hit retail, some people fought it and then they folded. You know, I think it's going to be a big deal. It's it's a revolution, it's an evolution of how we interact. I think we've got to be careful because like any evolution, you know, we could land flat-footed in some areas that would not be good and, you know, we can probably all think of one or two scenarios where AI is used in ways that don't facilitate a good experience. But I think we it's going to drive a lot of what we do. Yeah. It's going to drive a lot of what we do every day from waking up in the morning to going to bed. So you think about things you do now that you don't like. Think about having some type of automation through AI who can do that for you. I mean, we started talking about chat GPT and people with it writing cover letters. So think about that. Yeah. You, write a cover letter. I don't like writing those. Or put, or, no, no one <laughs> likes writing those or even put your resume together. So how do we hire based on that? Are we hiring now a person who is really, you know, for screening resumes and using, you know, applicant tracking systems now have to be evolved to kind yeah. of detect. So it, as new stuff comes, we've got to make sure that 
you know, we're getting what we want because now AI is doing a lot of the work. So mm -hmm. how do we now change our processes and our perspectives uh, in certain scenarios to, with an understanding that AI could have actually done that work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're forcing you to be more mm -hmm. creative. Yes, yeah, I think it will. And I think we'll continue to be challenged to innovate, 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 which is good because it just makes the world a better place. And so, you know, it's going to change even the dynamic around education and academia, like how we deliver that and what we're teaching, what's relevant anymore. But I really think it's going to, challenge is going to be not, losing sight of the fundamental things that still matter, regardless of, you know, whether you've got technology driving stuff. It goes back to the changing of your tire, right? How many people, if they had a flat, would sit on the side of the road and wait six hours as opposed to just, <laughs> just and they used to teach that. And, and I don't know that I could do it anymore, but I think I would absolutely try. And then cars, maybe now cars don't have flat tires anymore. Maybe there is a robot that jumps out of your trunk and changes your tire for you. I mean, things that we, yeah, just, it's going to be amazing to watch that evolution and watch, you know, how AI changes things. Yeah. So before I wrap up with my mm -hmm. final question, I just want to thank you for your time yeah. today. And was there anything that I didn't yet ask you that you wish I had or anything that we haven't covered? Um, no, I, I know, you know, as we were sitting down and preparing, you said, if I were ever going to write a book, and I've said this to my to my friends, I've been saying it forever. If I and I toned it, and I hope I could use this term on on in your podcast, I would. Say, it's been services gone to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and how can we leverage technology without relying on technology to continue to deliver good service? So you've seen technology begin to kind of evade the the, the grocery stores and stuff. But the service that supports the technology is not there, right? Yeah. So we've all scanned our groceries. And if something doesn't scan, you stand there forever. And so really writing a book that mirrors, here's where technology can help, but here's also where the service falls short because there's too much of a reliance. So I came up with that title. It sounds like a <laughs> so book look you're going to write. Yeah. And, um, you know, make it on the bestseller list in about 10 years. Well, when you're ready to promote it we'll have you back on the podcast and we'll help you with that because it sounds like a book we all need to read <laughs> all right well thank you so much karen we really appreciate your time and we hope you enjoy the rest of the conference today i will thank you very much thank you so much karen for joining us today i learned a lot from your presentation and i wanted to thank kirsten again for guiding that conversation and getting us all the information we needed out of today's episode we hope to see everyone again in the next episode of AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, make sure to like, follow, and subscribe, and share this podcast within your network. These actions move mountains for our mission of sharing artificial intelligence knowledge. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week on our next episode of AI Proficiency, turning tomorrow into today.